Christianity teaches that Jesus of Nazareth was both divine and human. He was both God and man. But exactly how human was he? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons, and welcome to Truth 101, a podcast where we talk about the great truths of the Christian faith. And in the 100 series, we looked at the doctrine of God, and beginning in the 200 series, we are looking at the doctrine of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He was both human and divine. He was both man and God. We believe that, and Scripture teaches that. So we're looking at the first three podcasts on the humanity of Jesus, and then we'll look at the last three uh, next three podcasts on the deity of Jesus as we continue to talk about the doctrine of Jesus of Nazareth. I have taught theology uh, for more than 20 years, and it has been my experience every time I teach on the person of Christ, the combination of the divine and the human, it has been my experience that my students have they really don't have much of a problem with Jesus being divine. In fact, they have no problem with Jesus being divine. But they, they really have a problem with Jesus being fully human. He was no 50% God and 50% man. Jesus was 100% God, but also 100% human. And I think sometimes my, my students struggled with that. They didn't want Jesus to be too human. It, it made them uncomfortable. So I want us to talk about the humanity of Jesus because one of the important doctrines of the Christian faith is that Jesus was totally 100% human. So let's look at his humanity and some of the weaknesses and limitations that he placed upon himself. We, we understand Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the great kenosis passage tells us that Jesus limited himself. He limited himself to become human. So, so let's look at some of those limitations and some of those weaknesses, I guess you might say, a, as a human. First of all, Jesus had a human body. The fact that Jesus had a, had a human body just like our human body is seen in many passages throughout the Bible. He was born as all human babies are born, according to Luke 2.7. He grew through childhood to adulthood, just as other children grow. Luke 2.40 tells us when Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus became tired like we become tired. We read John 4, 6, he was wearied and he, from the journey and he sat down beside the well in Samaria. He became thirsty when he was on the cross. He said in John 19, 28, I thirst. After Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, we read, quote, he was hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He was at times physically weak for during his temptation in the wilderness, he fasted 40 days to the point at which a human being's physical strength is almost entirely gone and beyond which irreparable physical harm may occur if the fast continues. 
And at that time, it said angels came and ministered to him in Matthew 4, 11. And then we see when Jesus was on the cross, on the way to be crucified, he fell beneath the weight of the cross and Simon of Cyrene had to carry his cross because he didn't have enough strength to carry it. And so we see Jesus he had a human body that ceased to function like ours ceased to function whenever he gave up the spirit. And then whenever Jesus rose from the dead, it's interesting, he had a physical human body, though one that was made perfect and was no longer subject to weakness and disease and death, but he still had a physical body when he resurrected. He wasn't a spirit. So he demonstrates repeatedly to his disciples after the resurrection that he had a real physical body. You may remember in Luke 24, 39, Jesus told his disciples, see my hands, my feet, it's, it's me, touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones like I have. So after the resurrection, Jesus had a body of flesh and bones. He's showing them and teaching them he has flesh and bones. He's not merely just a, a spirit. And in this same human body, although it was a perfect resurrected body, in the same human body, Jesus ascended back into heaven. He said before he left, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And the way in which he ascended up to heaven was calculated to demonstrate the continuity between his existence in a physical body here on earth and his continued existence in that body in heaven. We're going to talk later in one of our podcasts, does Jesus have a body still in heaven? Well, he appears that he does. So he took all the verses together. As far as Jesus' human body is concerned, it was like our human body in every respect before his resurrection and then after his resurrection, it was still a human body with flesh and bones, but it was perfect. The kind of body you and I as believers will have in heaven with Jesus when it says we shall be like him. So first of all, Jesus definitely had a human body. But second of all, Jesus had a human mind. A human mind. That fact is, is emphasized in Luke 2.52 whenever it we're told Jesus increased in wisdom. So he, he went through a learning process just as all children do. He, he wasn't born with full knowledge. He had to go through a learning process. He learned how to eat. Jesus had to learn as a baby how to talk. He had to learn how to read, how to write. He, had, he learned, had to learn how to become obedient to his parents. He, Hebrews 5.8 tells us that. So the ordinary learning process was a part of the genuine humanity of Jesus. We also see that Jesus had a human mind like ours whenever he talks about on the day in which he will return. says he doesn't know the day or the hour. Mark 13, 32, the day or the hour, nobody knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of Man 
but only the Father. So Jesus, in his humanity, limited himself to even knowing when he would return to earth again. He definitely had a human mind. But also, thirdly, Jesus had a human soul and human emotions. We see several indications throughout the Bible that Jesus had a human soul or a spirit. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus said, John 12, 27, quote, Now my soul is troubled, end quote. John writes a little later, John 13, 21, After these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit or his soul. And in both these verses, the word trouble there is the Greek word terasso. It's a word that's often used of people who are anxious or maybe surprised or they're in danger. It's a very human emotion. And that's what Jesus felt. Now, look, look at Jesus' life. All through the Gospels. Jesus had a full human range of human emotions. He, he marveled at the faith of a centurion, Matthew 8:10. He wept with sorrow at the death of Lazarus in John 11:35. He prayed with a heart full of emotions. Hebrews 5:7 tells us, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He cried out and prayed and, 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 and wept as he prayed. And then Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 tells us that Jesus, as a son, had to learn obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, end quote. Now, if Jesus never sinned, how could he learn obedience? Well, apparently, as Jesus grew toward maturity, he, he, like all other human children, was able to take on more and more responsibility. And the older he became, the more demands Mary and Joseph would place on him in terms of obedience, and the more difficult the tasks that his heavenly Father could assign to him to carry out in the strength of his human nature. He was totally, 100% human. Folks, don't make him less than human. We need Jesus to be human. He took our place. And so, with every increasingly difficult task, even when it involves some suffering, Jesus' human moral ability had the ability to obey under more and more difficult circumstances. So, therefore, evidently, his his he is learning, he, he, rather his obedience became learned. And never once, never once through this did Jesus sin. The complete absence of sin in the life of Jesus is all the more remarkable because of the severe temptations, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that he faced in the wilderness. Now, uh, fourthly, uh, let's talk just a moment. We talked about Jesus having a human body, first of all, and a human mind, second of all, and a human soul and emotions, thirdly. But, but I want us to see, fourthly, that something that's remarkable, people near Jesus saw him only as a man, 
and nothing else. Now think about this. Matthew, in his gospel, reports an amazing incident in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It's recorded in Mark, or rather Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Even though Jesus had taught throughout all of Galilee, healing every disease and every affliction among the people, great crowds followed him. But in Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Jesus came back to his own village of Nazareth where he was raised and the people who had known him for 30 years, they did not recognize him as anything more than a human. Let me read verses 13, or rather 53 through 58 of Matthew chapter 13 and listen to what's recorded. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get these things? And the Bible said, verse 58, And they took offense at him, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. End quote. Now, this passage indicates some interesting things. This passage in Matthew 4 indicates that those people who Jesus knew the best, the neighbors with whom he had lived and worked for 30 years, saw him as no more than an ordinary man. They didn't see him as God. They saw him as an ordinary man, a good man, no doubt, fair and kind and truthful, but certainly not a prophet of God who could work miracles and certainly not God himself in the flesh. They, they did not see that. And although we're going to see in the following podcast, we're going, we're going to see Jesus was divine in every way. He truly was God and man in one person. But we still must recognize the full force of a passage like this one. Folks, think about this. For the first 30 years of his life, he lived a human life so ordinary that the people of Nazareth, who knew him the best, were amazed that he could teach with authority. They knew him. He was one of them. He was the carpenter's son. He himself was the carpenter. So ordinary that they asked, where did this man get these things? And John tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, not even his brothers believed in him as Savior. So, was Jesus fully human? Absolutely so human that even those who lived with him and worked with him for 30 years, even the brothers who grew up with him in his own household did not realize he was anything more than a very good human being. That's incredible. They apparently had no idea, right in their midst, God had come in the flesh. So folks, why do you make him less than human? Why, are you, why do you feel the need to make him less than 100% human? 
And I think one of the reasons why we do is because of what I'm going to talk about next in the podcast, and that is the sinlessness of Jesus. I think sometimes we're, we're afraid of making Jesus too human because we think that we may make him sinful. And the Bible teaches New Testament clearly affirms Jesus was fully human just as we are, but he was different in one aspect, and that is he never sinned. Jesus was without sin. Now, some have objected that if Jesus did not sin, then he was not truly human for all human sin. But those making those objections simply fail to realize that human beings now, as we are, we're in an abnormal situation. God did not create us sinful. He created us holy and righteous. Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned were truly human and, and we know, though human, do not meet, match the pattern God intends for us when we are full, sinless, when, when full sinless humanity is restored. So in other words, they were truly human and sinless, and then they were still human and sinful. We are sinful and human. Jesus was totally human, but sinless. Now, how do we know for certain Jesus truly was sinless? Is that just something that uh, preachers talk about, or is it something Christians want to believe? Well, no, we actually have proof. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus' sinlessness is taught frequently. We see suggestions of even early in his life that he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him in Luke 2.40. And then we see Satan was unable to tempt Jesus successfully and failed after 40 days to persuade him to sin. Luke 4.13, the devil had ended the temptation and had departed from him from a season. And then in John's gospel, we have several statements about Jesus' sinlessness. One of them, John 8.12, Jesus made the amazing proclamation, I am the light of the world. And If we understand light to represent both truthfulness and moral purity, then Jesus right here is claiming to be the source of truth and source of moral purity and source of holiness in the world. That's an astounding claim no one could make unless they were free from sin. John 8, 29, Jesus said, I always do things that are pleasing to the Father. I I can't make that statement, but Jesus could make that statement. In the book of Acts, several times Jesus is called the Holy One, the Righteous One. The author of Hebrews affirms Jesus was tempted but simultaneously insists he did not sin. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus is, quote, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, end quote. He is a high priest, according to Hebrews 7, 26. A high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Peter tells us, the Lamb of God is without blemish and without spot. That's 1 Peter 1, 19. 
He used the Old Testament imagery to affirm his freedom from any moral defilement. And Peter directly states in 1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And then you go to John at the end of the New Testament. When Jesus died, he was the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to, to God. John in his first epistle calls him Jesus Christ the righteous in 1 John 2, 1. And then in 1 John 3, 5, he calls Jesus, he says, in him there is no sin. So all throughout the New Testament, we, we are clearly taught. It's not just something we want to believe. We are clearly taught all through the New Testament that Jesus was without sin. Now, there's one other, one other aspect of his sinlessness I want to touch on, and that is the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Folks, those temptations point to a sinless human being, a human being who's tempted, tempted so severely, angels had to come and minister to him afterwards, but a human who did not sin underneath the weight of the temptation. Now, in many respects, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness parallels, think about this, parallels the testing Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden. It was a lot more difficult, Jesus' temptation was. Adam and Eve had fellowship with God and with each other and, and had an abundance of all kind of foods and and they were only told not to eat from one tree. By contrast, Jesus had no human fellowship, had no food to eat, and after he had fasted for 40 days, was near the point of physical death. In both cases, the kind of obedience required was not obedience to an eternal moral principle rooted in the character of God, but it was a test of pure obedience to God's specific directive or command. With Adam and Eve, God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The question was whether they would simply obey what God had told them. But in the case of Jesus, who was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he apparently realized it was the Father's will that he not eat anything for 40 days but simply remained there until the Father, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, told him the temptations were over and he could leave. Now, look at the force of the temptation. The temptations, Luke 4, 3. The tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Of course, Jesus was the Son of God. And of course he had the power to make any stone into bread instantly. He was the one who would change water into wine in a few chapters and multiply the loaves and fishes in a few more chapters. But the temptation was intensified by the fact it seemed as though if he did not eat soon, his very life would be taken from him. Yet he had come to obey God perfectly in our place, and to do so as a human being. 
This meant that Jesus had to obey in his human strength alone. If he had called upon his divine powers to make the temptation easier, then he would not have fully obeyed God as a human. The temptation was to use his divine power to cheat. That's what the devil was tempting him to do. Cheat on the requirements and make obedience somewhat easier. But Jesus, unlike Adam and Eve, refused to eat what appeared to be good, choosing rather to obey the command of his heavenly Father. He chose not to eat. Adam and Eve chose to eat. But look at the temptation to bow down and worship Satan for a moment and then receive authority over all the kingdoms of the world, supposedly in Luke 4, 5. The temptation was to receive power not through the path of lifelong obedience to His heavenly Father, but a wrongful submission to the prince of darkness. And again, Jesus rejected the apparently easy path and chose the path of obedience that led to the cross. Look at the third temptation. Similarly, the temptation to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, Luke 4, verses 9 through 11. That was a temptation to force God to perform a miracle and rescue him in a spectacular way, thus attracting a large following from the people without pursuing the hard path that was ahead of him. The path that included three years of ministering to people's needs and teaching with authority and exemplifying absolute holiness of life in the midst of harsh opposition. But again, Jesus resisted the easy way to the fulfillment of his goals as the Messiah. Yes, these temptations were, were very real and very human. And Jesus culminated the temptations culminating in a lifelong process of moral strengthening and maturing that occurred throughout Jesus' early childhood and, and all the way into adulthood where he learned obedience through what he suffered. And you know, I believe this has practical application for us today. In every situation in which we are struggling with temptation, we should reflect on the life of Jesus and ask if there were not similar situations that he faced. Usually, after reflecting for a moment or two, we'll be able to think of some instances in the life of Christ where he faced temptations that, though they were not on the same level in every detail, they are very similar to the situations that we face every day. Yes, Jesus was 100% human, but he also was 100% without sin. In our next podcast, I hope you'll join us. I'm going to begin by, by answering the question, could Jesus have sinned? It's known as the doctrine of impeccability in, in systematic theology circles. The doctrine of impeccability means, could Jesus have sinned? Now, we know he did not. But did he even have the capability of sinning? And you're probably going to say immediately, no, he didn't even have the capability of sinning. But if that's true, what was going on out in the wilderness when the devil tempted him so greatly? 
We'll talk about it in our next podcast. God bless you the rest of the week. I hope that you'll join us next week as we continue to look at the great truths of the Christian faith.